Welcome to the Mind for Success podcast, a space for heart-centered entrepreneurs to live in deep alignment with what matters most, overcome subconscious limitations, and shift their energy into an unstoppable force. Before we get started, take a deep breath, hit the subscribe button, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Mind for Success podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Lebing, and I am so excited to introduce today's host. Um, we were chatting before the show started, and um, I needed to hit the record button because uh, y'all were missing some things. Her name is Deb Curtis, and um, she is with Curtis Business Finance Solutions. Um, she has an incredible story. Um, she is a remarkable woman. She's overcome so many obstacles in her personal life and her professional journey. And she's the founder of a women-owned small business. And she helps, she, what she does is she in, she's inspired to help other women and minority groups um, really thrive in their businesses and and. Get a, I'm, I'm going to let her tell you about what she does and That's I'll just right. stop. <laughs> oh, thank you, dear. Uh, thank you, Kimberly, and to your loyal listeners for, for being here. Um, it is an honor to, to be a voice of reason on shows like this. And um, I just can't thank all of you wonderful hosts and hostesses enough because you allow us to share our passion. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And I'd love to start. Um, let's first start with a little bit about what you do. Like, tell them what you do, and then we'll go into your story. Yes, I like that. You, that is a different approach. Like, who are we now? Because our past, I believe, brought us to where we are today. I love that approach. I have not had someone say, tell us first who you are and what you do today. Because then when we go to the past, it starts to make sense to everybody. It's like connecting it, the dots. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. I love that past part is like, that's the part that like this podcast is more for me than my listeners. Cause I uh -huh. love hearing the stories. Sure. Okay. So what, what I do today, I am a passionate advocate for unity in diversity, not only in corporate America and of course corporate in many other countries because it's very similar you know we want to be an advocate for unity and diversity and i'll get into that. And then also outside of corporate for opportunities as small business owners uh, around the world unity and diversity and what I mean by that and what that passion is. Um, today is is mentoring educating uplifting inspiring women and the minority groups just like you said earlier including people of color all minority groups to learn how to purchase finance an established money-making business by baby boomers that own these gems and um, i want to give you a statistic uh, for you kimberly and your listeners 11,000 baby boomers per day, per day are retiring today. And this is the trend that we will be in 
for the next five years, which we call the silver tsunami because of our our gray hair. I get to cover mine up with my headband today and I do get it colored. So there is silver in my hair. I am a Gen Xer. So I love the baby boomer generation because that's my father. Um, and what I want everyone to understand is what I do today is help all people to acquire these gems, the ones that baby boomers have been through the storm. When I talk about market highs and market lows and that little company is a little, the little engine that could in the communities it served and still serves. Well, now they're looking for the next CEO to take over that business. And there's no better people to do it than the generations thereafter to retain these gems of companies that give back to your local communities and and owner operate it and continue the legacy nobody really talks about this no one teaches this to you in school and that's what i do um, and in america we have this affiliate of our government called the sba which is the small business administration and they're they are the engine that guarantees these business acquisition loans. Because when you buy a business, there's a lot of uncollateralized portion, meaning you know the name of the company, the employees, uh, the customers, they all have a value to the seller. There was years of service and blood, sweat, and tears to build up that business. There is value to the seller, but that's not collateral to the bank. <laughs> the bank isn't gonna repossess people and customers if the next founder doesn't do a good job. So the government, the SBA, guarantees these bank loans that are given to you, the new business buyer, uh, to ensure the bank is protected. So I'll pause there. That's what I do today. And uh, wow. we'll get into more of that a little bit later. Yeah, wow. And I can hear, and I'm sure our listeners can, or if they're watching, I can hear your passion. I mean, I haven't even heard your full story yet. I mean, I know your story, but I, I know they haven't. And I can hear the passion in your voice. So I would love for you to share a little bit about what, you know, your background, why you do what you do. I know you have had a, a rough start growing up and, and whatnot. So yeah. I know that drives a lot of it. So tell us about that, Deb. Okay, I sure will. And I'll speed it up because I, I ask my husband every day, has anyone ever been through as much as I have been through? And he's like, well, I don't know about that much, but I think we've all been through a lot. But he's like, you're the exception to the norm. But maybe we all are. And maybe there's a purpose behind that exception to the norm. So I want your listeners that have gone through similar situations or are in it today, just remember you're the exception to the norm. That's special. So as a young child, the youngest of three daughters, um, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on the South side. And my father, he, was, he worked in manufacturing and my mom was a stay home mom. My mom was adopt, an adopted child so she doesn't know her side of the family. Um, she was born with polio and her parents, they were drug addicts, her biological parents. And when they found out that she had an illness and wasn't supposed to live long, um, 
and they knew that they did drugs while she was conceived and and while she was in the womb they just gave her up it's like a it's like a real movie you see kimberly on tv they dropped her off in a basket when she was baby on on a step of a fire station that was how my mom's life started as as an adopted child well when i was conceived the third of three um it was an accident and at the same time I was conceived, my mother uh, found out her adopted father had stage four cancer and wasn't expected to live longer than six to nine months. So when she found out she was expecting, well, I'm gonna come probably right around nine months too. So you can just imagine what she was going through because at that time when I was, uh, born she was still taking care of her father who was dying and he was toward the end of his life so my dad um through the years when we were older would would share with me that she just did not want me because her focus was her father so um i was left in the bassinet back in the days or in the crib just to cry and i was told this by my father because her focus really was on her dad her adopted dad, the one that truly loved her, she lost her adopted mom prior. And I say this all now with passion because 40 years of my life, let's be real, I was pissed at her for what she did to me that's coming up, okay? So so I learned real fast why I have this flat, flat head in the back because when I was a baby, I was just constantly laying in in, a, in in the crib and you, you might hear today have you ever heard kimberly about the new moms of today they're on their phones all the time and they leave their babies in their car seats mm. have you ever heard of that i have yeah, yeah. and their their heads same thing because you know our when you're a newborn your head is still forming you're 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 soft so right. wh- whenever i get my hair done i have to have it puffed out in the back to make my head look no normal so anyways it's okay I, I like i said i'm special and 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 so are the rest of your listeners so um my dad at the age of three moved us to a rural area to get us out of the city because he felt that you know growing up with the three girls the city would be a, a danger zone as far as crime and drugs and all of that and my mom was still a stay-home mom he worked full-time and part-time so he was gone all the time uh and back then this was in the 70s and he reminded me when i was growing up how interest rates were really really high in the 70s and and we talk about today's interest rates being high how about a mortgage interest rate on the home that was built in the rural area we moved to the interest rate was 18 percent wow <laughs> and you know everybody's complaining today that mortgage rates are at six seven percent i'm like people you just don't know what frugal is unless you live through the 70s (laughs) (laughs) true story isn't that true it is and i'll I'll tell you i remember milk and you'll get a kick out of this kimberly and maybe your listeners will too we would buy a gallon of regular milk whole milk and then we had that 
big tall box of carnation instant powdered milk, right? And so did we. I yes, totally remember yes. that. Yes. It, it was red and white. Do you remember it? I still remember the packaging on the outside had a little crinkly noise to it, but we would mix three quarters powdered milk mixed in water with the whole milk that we purchase at the store. That's how we lived. We rationalized everything. So you you did the same thing too. We did the same thing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your listeners remember those days. Yeah, that box was right next to the refrigerator. I can still see it to this day. That's crazy how we remember stuff like that. Anyways, um, well, the move to the rural area, um, uh, to which my dad thought would be a beacon of light to get away from crime and drugs. It's everywhere. Let's just say mm -hmm. that. So my mom in this new subdivision, and there were, I guess, probably more well-to-do families in this area, uh, not wealthy, but maybe a little bit lower than middle-class. We were getting there because my dad was working hard as he could, but we still weren't there but some of the other families in the neighborhood were, and they were stay-home moms. And that triggered my biological mom because my dad worked around the clock. When I went to school, she got to be friends with everybody in the subdivision that were stay-home moms. And then that's when Valium, alcohol, uh, painkillers, all of that stuff was introduced. And she spiraled real fast, heading down the wrong road, while my dad worked round the clock to keep our budget alive and to keep food on the table. And eventually she had an affair. And um, I still remember to this day, my father packing up his bags in their master bedroom. And I was asking him, where are you going? And he told me he was leaving and, and why that, you know, my mom made some mistakes and they couldn't be married anymore. So I grabbed a bag of off-brand potato chips and off-brand two liter of soda. And I ran to the golf course and sat on the 18th hole and cried. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we wow. lived, I know we lived the home he built. We lived on the, uh, the opposite side was the 18th hole of a golf course. And my daddy taught me how to wash used golf balls that we would collect in the pond late at night and make money selling used golf balls in egg cartons on that 18th hole. So that's where some of my learning of being a small business owner started. Can you believe that? Selling <laughs> shiny, cleaned up, I cleaned them, used golf balls. And those golfers loved me because they knew who I was. I always with a smile on the face sitting there with egg cartons of um, golf balls. <laughs> so anyways, he moved out, things spiraled fast. My mom, um, had parties at that home every night. My two older sisters, one was in the military. The other one was on her way moving out, but she drank and partied with my mom and was the, the two of them together was not good. Um, eventually over time, the, you know, the police put an end to all of the parties. It turned into a drug house. I was, oh gosh, eight, nine years old, witnessing just constant parties at the house, constant drugs, needles, cocaine. I saw it all, pot, drinking, sex, things I probably should have never seen at my age, music blaring, families in the neighborhood, they saw it, but they didn't say anything. It was just, it spiraled out of control until the police said no more. 
So my, uh, the sister that party with my mom, she moved out. The other one was in the military and I'm still with my mom as the youngest. And when things got to the point where she couldn't hold parties there anymore, she took herself and went other places to continue the party, which over time started out as a day or two that she'd be gone from the home. And I was nine years old with a dog and a cat in the, mm. a rundown home that was just basically a drug house that one or two days turned into a week over time turned into two weeks and over the long haul turned into 18 months <laughs> i was threatened by her she would come home once in a blue moon and i you know i was only nine ten years old and i was not to say anything otherwise life would be really miserable for me my dad had a uh, very partial custody to see me um, like every other weekend and that was it and sometimes he couldn't see me because he was working to pay her alimony and child support so it was rare he could see me while she was earning all of this income that my dad was paying her to take care of me and she goes somewhere else with it crazy crazy story anyways um my sister that was in the military would come home and and not often but every time she came home the house was looking worse and more run down the fridge was full of mold moldy food this is where i started to learn how to people please at 10 years mm. old and what i mean by that is i knew i had to eat something so i made a lot of friends in the neighborhood that we lived in and the neighbors knew kimberly that things were bad so they would always have me over for dinner and this is where i learned to have conversations and just talk with strangers because mm. I, I i still do this today that was my ticket to get a meal whether i had a friend in that home or i just liked the parents i would just come over and chit chat and they're like why don't you sit down and have a meal they knew what was going on but they didn't want to say anything for fear of what might happen to them so uh. Yeah, so my sister from the military finally caught up with my dad and said something's not right I don't every time I come home. Um, Debbie's alone the house is run down so little by little they had authorities tracking and spying, so to speak, and it was determined, I was abandoned and my father earned full custody of me um, temporary custody mind you uh, immediately. So he got me out of the house and rescued me. Um, and then to speed things up, we had to go through a two year custody battle between my mom and my dad, because in the late seventies, it was always the judge's decision to give custody to the mom. Right. I don't know, does that yeah. ring a bell to you? Yeah, it does. My parents are divorced and I know it was automatic. So yeah, a lot of your story really resonates, but but yeah, it was okay. totally automatic. Yeah. All right. See, and I love to hear that because sometimes I have to confirm, you know, I, I believed it to be true. And I remember the attorney that my dad had retained had many meetings with me. And at this point I'm, I was in middle school and my grades were failing. It, it was just awful. Um, but the attorney said, the only way we're going to get Deb full time with her father at this point, I was 11 pushing on 12 was to have 
her testify against her mom and her attorneys and then my dad and his attorney. So I was questioned by both sides in a trial that went on forever. Speed things up. Uh, my dad won full custody. I shouldn't say won. He earned it. And my mom, from that point on, I didn't see her for 40 years of my life. <laughs> she wow. just abandoned me for good. So um, uh, that was that story of my life. And what happened, and maybe your listeners would understand, the people pleaser in me was alive and strong. I was always looking for love, looking to be seen, not to be dismissed. And I, I just kept going into the wrong places. Um, I did have a really good high school boyfriend because uh, at that time I was living with my dad and he was two years older than me and his parents, it was a small town that we lived in. They knew what I went through. So they treated me like their daughter, especially my, my now ex-boyfriend's mom from high school. I was like her daughter. And he broke up with me though, because he was two years older than me and, and saw what the fun life was at college with dating other women. I, at that point, attempted to take my own life. Um, I tried to commit suicide because I felt like wherever I went, people just would leave me. He left me. Mm. And then I found another man, same story. He left me because he was previously married and had a little girl and they decided to reconcile their relationship to raise the little girl. So I, I can't default him for that. But another attempt um, to take my own life. I ended up in the hospital this time. Um, so I, I uh, share that I was looking for love in all the wrong places because of that people pleasing little girl in me. And then I married my first husband. And that's when I started my first career in, in, in going into corporate. And that's where we're going to segue. But marrying that first husband of mine, was the worst decision I have ever made in my life. And a lot of it, again, stems from that people pleaser in me. We met on a bowling league because in the 80s, late 80s, bowling was big in Wisconsin. And I think it still is big. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I met, I met him on a bowling league and um, we got married quickly. Um, just because I wanted me, I, I wanted a fairy tale life. Like I wanted to be married, have children. I, and I used to talk to God a lot. Like, why is this happening to me? I just want someone to love me. Well, this man loved me, but he had a severe drinking problem and anger issues and he gambled and I didn't know it until after we were married. Um, we got married quickly because his father had a heart attack and passed away and he lost his mom prior. So I felt sad for him. Um, and we were married. My oldest daughter um, today, she's adopted by my now current husband, was from him. It was a short marriage, but it was horrific. He tried to kill me two times, um, domestic abuse. I'm a victim of severe domestic abuse. And guess who rescued me? My dad. Wow. Uh, I, I hid it from him. I pretended to him that my life was okay because I wanted him to see I can have a normal life. So I hid it all. And at the same time, this is when I started my very first professional job in corporate America because I didn't have a college education, mind you. 
um, my dad couldn't afford it. So it took me a while to work hard to finally land a job that most would say it was in sales, but they always wanted to see that you had a college education. If you were to get a foot into the door, you know, back in the early nineties, you had to have that education at the bottom of the resume. Well, my dad rescued me. I started to live on my own then with the baby. And through all of that, I was busting my butt in corporate America in a very male dominated industry, trying to prove and people please to the supervisors mm-hmm. yeah. that I can do this with a smile on her face, even though she's battered and bruised from her husband and bailing him out of jail and he's drinking every night and making her life miserable, but yet she's a top performer going to work every day. So I'm going to pause because I, I gave you a lot there before we go into the corporate sector of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, you know, one, I mean, I think that there are a lot of people that go through a lot of stuff. A lot of your story honestly resonates with me. There's so okay. many, I mean, I've even had the past suicide attempts and I don't even talk about that in my yeah. story and you're making me think, well, maybe I should. Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of it really resonates, but I just want to commend you like the, I, when I think about the people pleasing part, that's something I see a lot with Mm -hmm. the business owners and it comes from all kinds of different reasons. Some of them, not what we would consider trauma, but people have their own trauma. Yeah, It comes in many different faces, but the fact that you overcame that and are where you are today and have turned it into a passion and a purpose. uh, We were talking about that a little bit earlier. I'm just, yeah, Yeah. I'm just in awe of, you know, the story. You know, it's not perfect yet though. I don't think it ever will be Kimberly because that self-love is probably the hardest one of all for me. And, um, I being a guest on podcasts and speaking to a lot of professionals like you that help people realize the why of who they are today. You've all helped me tell my story. And this is the best part of this journey is because you're allowing me to heal all those years of my life. You didn't tell anybody what was going on and it's still that way today. Mm, It is. Yeah, you just can't tell anybody. And, you know, God forbid, if you go get help, good luck trying to get in to see somebody that's licensed, they're just going to put you on antidepressants and all that. And yes, we need them. I get it. If they're the right, everyone has a different opinion. And I respect that. But I don't even know how to explain it. Where do you go is the question. And thank God for podcasts and guesting because being able to talk about this, there've been times I've just broke down and and out of nowhere came tears because I hid it for so long. Um, And the the journey in corporate is is the second half of my story of of my why today. Um, So thank you for the work that you do as a mindset coach. We all need you. I'm telling you right now, your listeners that had similar paths that I've been through. Don't think it's brave to just figure it out on your own. You gotta connect with someone like Kimberly and tell your story because that's where the healing is. Um, I don't know, you know, 
what your thoughts are on that, but that's just yeah, my no, take. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I hid so much um, myself for so many years and, you know, it wasn't until later in life that I really got to a place of really healing yeah. And we're all works in progress. So, you know, I tell people all that time. I mean, I, I have a mindset coach. I, I still do the work because we're never done. There's always layers, tons oh. and tons of layers of different things. There's layers oh, of people pleasing. There's, yeah. you know, there's layers, there's layers to all of it. So a lot of layers, yeah. a lot of in-betweens that I could keep telling, but we'd be here forever. And, you know, <laughs> Does this ring a bell with you? I got to ask you this because this was an aha moment for me, not until recently. People always told me, supervisors, friends, family, through all my life, you are an extrovert. You're so happy. You are, you know, whenever we would have like a team meeting, everybody just assumed Deb's an extrovert. She's the extrovert. Listen, it wasn't until recently I discovered I have always been an introvert. That extrovert in me is the people pleaser and it was all a facade. I there totally you. resonate with that because uh, that oh, was me too. I got yeah. really, I was always told when I was growing up, oh, you've got such a sweet smile. You're so nice. You're this, you're that. And it was 100% the people pleasing. And I had to, like, yes. that's how I survived. So uh, yeah. Um, I think of yeah. my mom when she would be like, you know, drunk or hung over as that little girl. That's how we survived. I got to be nice to her. She used to ground me for stuff I didn't even do. And God forbid, if I try to challenge her on that, she'd freaking throw stuff at me. I'm like, you know, and I people pleased her. I'm like, okay, I'll take the bulk of it and be grounded. And I'll sit in my room for days, even though I had nothing to do with what, what she, the heck she was blaming me for. Crazy, yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so that first corporate job, we're going to segue into corporate America, my journey of 30 years. So before I go there, is there anything more you want to ask or shall we just jump in? Oh, let's, let's jump in. Okay. <laughs> let's jump yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you all now have heard my, you know, my dad got custody of me and he still worked full-time and, and, uh, part-time he still had to pay my mom alimony because she never worked. And now he's taking care of me and our, my two older sisters. Granted, they're not home, but they still need money. So where do they go? To dad. Thankfully, thankfully, we lived in a place, uh, um, an efficiency apartment where I could walk to school, walk to high school. I gave it my all in high school, the people pleaser. I was in plays. I sang. I, I still love to sing today. I did everything I could to get praises in high school. Praises. Because I was, I was thriving to be seen and to be heard. And I loved it. High school was good memories until my final year when it was recognized my senior year that I wasn't going to a university because my dad couldn't afford it. And it just seemed really um dismissive the children the seniors my friends that could go would just look down on you if you weren't going to a college or university so my dad told me you just take that ugly feeling and turn it into energy 
and work hard in corporate America to get promoted and pass them up. I'll never forget him. He said, if you work hard, you'll find your way. So here she goes, that people pleasing Deb is going into professional corporate America. My first job was 18 years on the job. And why? Well, number one, I, I worked my way up in this company, but number two, back then, you would recall, Kimberly, and so would your listeners, back then in the 90s, corporate America really took care of their employees. I yes. mean, benefits yeah. were good. Right. 401k. I had a 401k at this company where they would match my 6% that I put in. 6% from them, 6% from me. Sometimes they'd bump up more. My dad said he never seen benefits like that in his life. I had a company car. Um, I mean, health insurance. Do you remember health insurance? I don't even think I had a deductible and everything was 100% paid for. Yes, <laughs> Just, right. It was, it was beautiful. So I stayed on that job because my dad would always tell me, you can't leave. That's just, just too good of a job. It was a finance company and we, we um, put on secondary auto loan paper on the books. And when I say secondary auto loan paper, these are individuals that might have had some credit challenges and paid some credit slow in the past. So we were like a second chance stop for people that needed to finance an auto loan. Um, the banks declined them and uh, we did the financing. Back then there wasn't GMAC or Ford Motor Credit that does a lot of the financing like they do today. Back then it was either a bank or we, the finance company. So when we put this credit on the books, this facility, this auto loan, we had to serve the customers. And if they fell behind on payments, we also had to collect the payments to make sure that they stay up to date and typical trends of people that have had bad credit in the past they'll do it again well then if they stop paying two three months we had to go find the car wherever it may be and hire a tow truck company to meet me on the corner of such and such to go hook up the car and and take it back to the office well i always drove with my branch manager in this position when we would go on repossession calls um, and they would not promote women because they felt it was too risky for women to be in these kind of situations and that it was just their rule we don't promote women. I struggled with the fact that they wouldn't promote women because my numbers were better than the men. And I always went on the call with my branch manager who was a white male anyhow. So I pushed um, positively in a persistent fashion, pushed upper management to promote me to branch manager because all I'm doing is just switching seats in the car that I'm driving in to repossess the, the same the same customer's account. I'm just driving the car. I'm sitting as a passenger, as an assistant manager, and you won't promote me. Well, finally they did. They promoted me because they, they're like, you know, she's right. She's got a point. She's doing the work and, and she's surpassing all the guys. Mind you that had college educations on their resume. She's doing a good job, um, keeping her delinquencies in order and doing good with credit. 
So they agreed to promote me, but it was on a probationary period of six months with no extra pay and they could get away with that. They could also get away with saying, no, they don't promote women. That was in the late nineties that that was, they could say it and nothing would happen to them. Um, so finally they agreed to promote me and my pay was nowhere equivalent to what the men's pay was. And they said, I didn't have a college education, number one, and that they typically don't promote women. So they weren't going to pay me the same as the guys that had college educations publicly told me that. So I just accepted it. And I know this for a fact, because my husband of today, we worked at that same company and he got paid way more than I did. And he knew it too. So he supports me on this journey that I am on today. Um, but after 18 years, I wasn't getting fair pay and it just, I was working hard. I was a number one branch manager. I passed up all the guys and was, had accolades on my resume of promotions and, and top branch of the year. So then I would go and apply at banks for other positions, wanting to go into business banking, but I kept getting passed over because I didn't have that college education at the bottom of my resume. I had to be persistent, Kimberly, positively saying, listen, people, you gotta give me a chance. Just because I didn't go to college, I can still do this sales position. It, it wasn't that I didn't wanna go to college, my family couldn't afford it because I was abandoned. And no matter what the story was, they just ignored it. And don't you find it ironic to kind of what you're hearing in the news today? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, full, it's like full circle. It's like, here we go again. I mean, the, if anyone hasn't heard, there are certain universities that they won't consider you based on specific demographics and reasons. Right. Now, I, you know, I get some of it, but I don't get all of it. I think we have to do a better job in America to be fair and equal to everybody. We don't know their stories. They didn't know I was abandoned. They didn't know I'd survived domestic abuse. I mean, do we need to start putting that on our resumes to show people that we're a fighter and a warrior and we, we survive? Is, is that worth more than a four-year degree? Now, if, you, if you're gonna be a physician, or an engineer, yeah, that's a different story. But when you're in just banking and sales, good Lord, come on. So my journey in corporate America was more of the same. I moved into business banking and the love of small businesses. Um, and it was a very male dominated industry, um, white men that pretty much everyone knew who everybody was and and it was a circle of friendships and it still is today um and and it was it's still hard even as of my last stop the disparate treatment uh, of women in a very male dominated industry is hard to navigate and just like when i was a child and i was abandoned and those neighbors would see something but they wouldn't say anything it was happening in as recent as a couple of years ago, it was happening last year. White men see something that's disparate of how women are treated on the team in corporate America. They see it, they know it. Other women see it and know it, but nobody says anything. I call that the culture 
of silence in corporate America. Because if you say something, you have a target on your back. And, and me being the honest, fully transparent people pleaser trying to make things right, because other women I saw were treated differently. I said something a few times on my journey in corporate America, but in a positive fashion to try to get them to understand we got to do better. You know, we need to take a look at how everyone is being treated. I mean, I'm on a team of all men and taking all the men on the team with the men bosses to NFL games, NBA games, taking clients. These are my clients too, saying, no, you got to stay back uh, with the rest of the girls and just field customer service calls and stuff. I, it's just, this is real and this is happening today. So um, I got introduced to SBA Lending, uh, Small Business Administration, which you heard at the top of the show. And I have a love for supporting small business owners, but today the demographic of small business owners is majority white men. So of course my mission today is to support women and all the minorities to give them a fair and equal chance at acquiring established small businesses. Now Deb Curtis is on the other side of corporate she can say something without a target on her back anymore and be an advocate practicing unity and diversity and we have a ways to go kimberly yeah we do we do <laughs> a long ways to go so i sped up that second half there of my journey it wasn't pretty but like i said before we started to record it's not about the money it's about who I'm taking care of. The hurts of my past, personally and professionally, the hurts of my past created solutions for my small business and my clients today. I had a coach tell me, why would you discount helping white men that want to purchase finance a business and I said I'm not discounting helping them I will but I want to be a beacon of hope and light for women and people of color and all of our minorities they don't know about this because they don't teach the fact that you can acquire a baby boomer owned business that's successful for 20 plus years and just needs a Gen Xer or a millennial to transfer in and take over these companies. They don't know about it. You know who knows about it? The white corporate men. Right. And they're, yeah. They're the number mm. one applicant today acquiring these businesses. You hear of private equity, you hear of, um, um, a lot of people that have money and it's typically the white men because they climbed that corporate ladder over the decades and they earned the additional income. They earned more than Deb Curtis did back in the 90s, in the 2000s. They always earn more. They were treated much better than the rest of us. Now, I'm not here to bash because not all white men are in the same category. I just think our 
country, our government, the SBA has to do something more for women and minorities, as in offer an education program so they learn how to do this, because that's what I do. I teach people how to do this and get them to the finish line, but offer something to the minority groups where if they do an online tutorial or are coached by me, they get you know the first six months of their payments um, waived or some kind of stimulus to equal out the playing field that small business owners are diverse instead of heavily weighted one demographic. Yeah, yeah, I feel That's like story. <laughs> I well, and I just so I resonate on so many things. Um, just side note, I, my, my story is so similar. So my very first job out of college was working for a finance company and that's where I met my husband. So we did the repo and he came in at the same, I know, isn't this crazy? Um, he came in at a higher salary than I did. And I knew that, and we were in the same position. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding you. So I'm, I'm telling just, you, it's crazy that we match up like this. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I decided back then to go into mortgages as the direction I went in, you know, after that experience. But yeah, it was the same thing. I drove around with my branch manager. Well, you know, the repos and the uh, all of it. That's the side note. Like we have very interesting... A reason Sorry. why our paths cross today. This yeah, is amazing. Totally. Yeah, yeah, it wow. really is. But I know there are so many people that still have their head in the sand about, you know, what's really going on because it is and it's just, you know, different minority groups and women. And, you know, now you've got the LGBTQ community yeah. um, that are, you know, under fire. Right. And it's not... I don't know. I don't, I, I don't understand it. We go into these discussions, my husband and I, cause he's also white male and uh-huh. it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of people are just trying to hold on to something, hold on without really noticing it or understanding that it's not what's been going on for so many years isn't right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're trying to hold on to a, um, a past that really yeah. we need to move on to we need to move on from, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I, I, I just heard this last week, my husband, you know, he, he too is the white man and he still works for the bank. And he talked about a white man supervisor that a lot of people can't stand, especially women. And he told me, he said, it's like he's trying to manage from the 1980s and it just doesn't work anymore today. It's like, stop the way you're acting and treating people. It's not equal still right. today. And he and he sees it. I'm like, but he won't say anything because he's afraid it's going to put a target on his back and, and they'll they'll kick him out of his job. That's what happened to me twice. Yeah. I went to wow. HR thinking HR would help. You can't go to HR. <laughs> you can't. You know, if you're a woman going through disparate treatment or, you know, LGBT, if, if you're going through disparate treatment of supervisors, the message is don't quit. Because when you quit, you don't have a case. You have to stick through it and then get legal help like an attorney to represent you. 
And if anyone needs help with that, just let me know, because I have a, a workforce attorney that takes on these cases mm. and he sees it all the time. He was the one, the last stop at corporate that taught me not to quit. And I didn't quit. And, and the case isn't done yet. Let's just say that. So we can do better. I'm not here to create a war, but we got to stand up for what's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. So, so let's shift a little bit and let's talk a little bit more about what you, how you help people now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just tell me like, what are some of the bigger problems or the things that people like that you see, um, yeah. that you can help with? Yeah. Um, I think of corporate America, kind of like an NBA basketball team. Cause I, I love watching sports and I love professional sports stories. They're always so inspiring, but if you, you know, Think of a corporate team of 12 people and they all want to get promoted. There's only one spot to promote these 12 people that are a team and they're all doing the job and many of them want to get promoted. So if you think of an NBA team, they only have five starters that that pretty much play the majority of the game, except when they pull them out for breaks. Well, there are a lot of good NBA players sitting on the bench. And in my opinion, sometimes the ones sitting on the bench are better than the ones that are starting, but they're just not getting a fair shot. And that's why there's trades and such. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're stuck in corporate, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your color of skin is, no matter what your background is, you have a fair and equal shot at acquiring these established money-making businesses. Um, That's what I do. Uh, That's what I'm passionate about is to teach you and mentor you, the one feeling stuck at corporate that isn't getting promoted to help you look at other plan Bs or plan Cs. You have to have a plan B and a plan C going before you leave your plan A whatever that looks like. You have to diversify today. It's not 1995 anymore where I put 18 years into that job and gave them everything because they gave everything back to me. That ain't happening anymore today. So get your your A, Bs, and Cs rolling. And Mm. and you're going to discover there's more inside of you than you thought. Don't be stuck in corporate. Now, some people can stay in corporate. There are people that do love their current jobs and um, they have good benefits. There are some great employers out there. I have to be fair because I know a few people that really love their jobs. You can still acquire an established baby boom to own business that's profitable and money-making. Some of those businesses, the owner today is truly retired and enjoying life with his grandchildren while his key employees, the managers are running the business. Mm. Well, now when he sells that business and you finance it, that I help you find the financing for it backed by the SBA, the government, you can acquire that absentee owned business, meaning absent, the owner's not there and still work corporate and just oversee this business. And there is a diversification of your income in case corporate lays you off unexpectedly. Right. It's, ni- 
isn't it nice to diversify? Yeah. For I once, mean, I, yeah, go ahead. I, well, I'm just thinking like after the pandemic and all the people that were, you know, furloughed or, you know, yeah. my husband was, he was selling office equipment at the time during 2020. Well, nobody sure. was even going into the office. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I can just imagine that that's a big deal. Okay. So knowing how much of a benefit it is to have a plan B, because I know, I mean, pe companies aren't like they used to be. We talked about that earlier. They really aren't. They'll dump you at the drop of a yeah. hat. And, you know, like my husband got furloughed during 2020. And, and so I can see where people would, it would be beneficial to really think about having that plan B. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what that might look like? I would love to. And um, I was, I was laid off permanently in March of 2020 as well. Ugh. It was just like, they just, they just didn't even care. Just, it was the most raw let go I've ever experienced uh, besides the last stop anyways. But that's why you need to have that plan B and that plan C rolling. And a lot of times people do a side hustle, like a startup business, which is good. We need to have startup businesses. There's a lot of online startup businesses, but you got to put in a lot of bootstrapping, meaning your own money and a lot of time along with working at corporate and, and people will do it. That's perfectly fine. And I've seen some great businesses come out of startup stages and survive. And um, we need them because <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't have any small businesses. But what if I could tell you, you don't have to just start up a business, you could acquire one. The baby boomers and and you know i had an aha moment kimberly um when all that this ai everybody's worried about ai is going to take out a lot of business a lot of uh employment which it has already i mean there's been a lot of layoffs where companies are using ai to take over and i see that trend continuing and i feel like the baby boomer the silver tsunami that I was talking about earlier, 11,000 a day retiring, a lot of them own small businesses. What better time that this is happening because they're all living longer. We're taking care of ourselves better. We're living longer. We're owning our businesses longer. And now there's this AI beast that came to town and wants to take out all of these millennials and Gen Xers, their jobs. And they're like, where are we going to go? These baby boomers are like, I need to find, you know, the next person to take over my business because my kids don't want to run it. And I think the kids don't want to of business owners because they saw the blood, sweat and tears that mom and dad put in when the startup stages were happening. Right. right. Yep. <laughs> but now it's easy. It's all set. It's the there's employees there. There's um customers that are loyal. Everybody loves the name of the company. Meanwhile, there's Gen Xers and millennials. Where are we going to go? And I'm like, here we go. It's all coming together. That's the way we have to look at it. And many of these people are, still need to learn about the baby boomers and this huge wealth transfer happening, which includes the transition of a new owner into their businesses. That's the way we got to look at the future. Um, 
And a lot of these baby boomer owned businesses, they're not good with technology. They're, they don't even have websites for crying out loud and they're still successful. You better believe these, the generations over here know what that's all about. And I love helping the buyers here put together their business plan of just a simple website and social media marketing, injecting that into these businesses that are already profitable. Look at the growth that will happen with oh. these. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so, it is. I can, I can imagine. I love it. That's the message. Mm. And unity and diversity is where this is at. It's, it's fair and equal for all genders. It's fair and equal for all backgrounds. You don't need a college education to take over one of these businesses. Now, if it's an engineer related business, you may need some of that education and license, right? But my goodness, think of essential needs businesses like our, our air conditioning. We need to have that today in Wisconsin. It's dog muggy out there right now, you know? <laughs> And there are ways that we can move these people into these businesses. And here's the beauty of it. It's not a startup, it's already working. And the cash profits of these established businesses, the net income is what makes your SBA change of ownership loan payment. The business is already making the money historically proven. The underwriters are gonna look at that. That's what makes the business buyer's SBA loan project payment. And furthermore, the baby boomer is pulling a salary over 20 years that he's been paying himself. Well, if you want to stay in corporate, fine. And the salary that he's making will be transferred to you. Or if you want to get out because it's a toxic work environment, get out then because you're going to be paid a salary that's transferred to you plus enough income to pay for your SBA loan project payment. Nobody knows about this. Mm, wow. And that's what I'm here to teach. Yeah, I love it. Mind is blown. So <laughs> really, really, I didn't know that any of that had was even a I possibility. Know. Most don't. The ones that get it are the, the clubs and corporate. The right, guys. right, right. They yeah, know amazing. and they're they're and they have the money. Some of them just pay cash because through their corporate journey, they've been paid big bucks. So yes, do you have to have money down to purchase finance a business? Think of it like a first time home buyer. Yes, you have to have good credit. Yes, you gotta have a 10% down payment. There's, you know, that's just common sense, but it's available to you. Mm, wow. <laughs> it's all there for the taking. You just have to learn how to do it. And that's my job to take you from education to start to packaging, to sourcing the best bank loan capital, to transitioning you into the new ownership. And that baby boomer will stay on and help you just like a promotion within corporate America, showing you the ropes. Mm. So I tell people, you know, if you're waiting, you're that B player on the NBA team and you want a promotion and it's not happening. Sometimes Kimberly, you got to make it happen for yourself right. and get traded. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, so good. This has been so, so good. Um, I was, whenever you, so before to my podcast guests, um, I had my guests fill out a form and do you have something to 
that you want to give away at the end? And I loved your answer. I don't even know if you remember what you put on here, but, but um, so debcurtis.com and her free offer would be to pay it forward with a smile, a hug and kindness to people you don't know. Um, That's right. I yeah. love that. I love that. You are a true giver. Yeah, you know, thank you. Um, yes, I know I have a people pleasing habit in me and it wasn't such a bad thing. I just know I have to have boundaries in place. Right. You, you teach that I'm sure to a lot of your clients. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not the best at boundaries, but I'm getting better as I, as I get older in life. Um, but there's nothing more fulfilling to me than taking the past of my corporate journey, ups and downs, ups and downs of my personal life. There's nothing better today than hearing in my mind, I, God told me, he called me to do what I'm doing and he wanted me to focus on women and minorities and practice unity and diversity. Now, if you're a white man and you want to acquire a small business and work with me, of course, I'm going to say yes, because that's unity and diversity, but I'm here to teach everyone else, learn how to get it done. Mm, I love that. So yeah. thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. Um, <laughs> it's been, I know you're inspiring people. I know other people are inspired by hearing you today. So oh, I just want to you. thank you and honor you for that. And to our listeners, like, share, like rate this episode um, and share it with your friends that, um, especially, you know, your minority friends, the women, you know, that might be stuck in a job that they don't like. Thank you for, thank you for that. You are a doll, Kimberly. And um, to anyone feeling stuck out there, you don't get unstuck until you start talking to someone. And uh, reach out to Kimberly would be my message because the more I speak to people like you, I the more unstuck I become and I start to move forward because that's what we all deserve is to positively move forward. Yeah, totally. So thank you so much for listening today. Thanks for being on the show, Deb. Thank I really you, appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. I want to invite you to download my free guide at resources.kimberlyleving.com slash unlock. It's called Unlocking Your Authentic Self, Five Key Steps to Identify and Overcome Hidden Limitations in Your Life and Business and Realize Your Highest Potential. And again, that free guide can be found at resources.kimberlyleving.com slash unlock. Thank you again for listening today.